Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Carrie Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas farmers will once again be able to use dicamba. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. Despite getting some moisture this week, drought remains the current story for the Panhandle, and with that in mind, there's an insurance program ranchers might want to consider. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. Extreme South Texas sees a return to 90-degree daytime highs. Well, we're still waiting for that first major cold down. Those stories and more in today's report. Nationwide recruitment campaign seeks cotton growers. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus the latest news from Washington, Texas Wildlife News. And a complete look at the markets, all coming up. But first, here's Jessica Domel with news headlines. The Environmental Protection Agency has approved five-year registrations for two Dicamba products and extended the registration of another. On Tuesday evening, EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler said the agency reviewed substantial amounts of new information, considered scientific assessments based on the best available science, and carefully considered input from stakeholders and reached a resolution that he said is both good for farmers and the environment. New registrations have been approved for Extendamax with grip technology and Ingenia herbicide. EPA extended the registration of Tavium plus vapor grip technology. EPA's 2020 registration of the products includes new control measures, including requiring a buffer and requiring a volatility reduction agent. The first-ever commercial shipment of U.S. grown rice was unloaded in China on Tuesday. According to USA Rice, the shipment was premium medium-grain Calrose rice grown in California and sold by ADM to a private importer. The delivery was the result of more than a decade of regulatory and political work done by USA Rice to establish the two-way trading relationship with China. China is the world's largest consumer and producer of rice. Bobby Hanks, chair of USA Rice, says the U.S. is well-positioned to help fill some of China's rice import needs moving forward. 32 U.S. export facilities in six states have been approved to mill and ship U.S. rice to China. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. There's been some snow, sleet, and rain in the Texas Panhandle this week. But James Hunt tells us continuing drought conditions there could make the case for a special insurance program for ranchers. Getting measurable moisture for the first time in more than six weeks has been nice. Nevertheless, year-to-date precipitation totals for most of the Panhandle remain either below or only slightly above half of normal. 
With our ongoing drought, area ranchers might want to think about purchasing what's called pasture, rangeland, and forage insurance offered by USDA's Risk Management Agency. Texas A&M AgriLife Risk Management Specialist D.D. Jones says this insurance provides coverage for those times when local rainfall is below average. It's not like they go out and have to adjust or look at your land or anything like that. They're just going to look at what should be the normal rainfall for that interval versus what the current rainfall is. November 15th is the deadline to sign up to have coverage for 2021, and Jones says most area crop insurance agents can help ranchers enroll. Given the fact that weather forecasters are rejecting yet another La Nina year, I hope they're wrong. This might not be a bad policy to look into. In Amarillo, James Hunt for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Cotton harvest continues to move ahead of the normal pace here in Texas, according to this week's Crop Progress and Condition Report. USDA reporting 48% of the Texas cotton crop now harvested. That is well above the 34% five-year average. 94% of the bowls are open. Cotton crop condition ratings continue to look awful here in Texas. We only have 6% of the crop rated excellent, 19% good, 29% rated fair, and 46% of the cotton crop rated poor to very poor. There may be ice out in the panhandle, but the Rio Grande Valley has been dealing with 90-degree days. Jim Hearn reports from the Valley. Valley weather has gone back to hot and dry with daytime highs reaching into the low 90s. Ideal weather for onion planting and all field work. It's also been ideal to get the early orange harvest off to a roaring start. Because of Hurricane Hannah, 80 plus mile per hour winds, we lost a lot of grapefruit while oranges seem to fare a lot better. They hang on the tree because I guess they're much smaller. Well, ranchers are busy getting that hay cutting in and welcoming a lot of new additions back to the herd. Cattle conditions remain good, and stock tanks, well, they could be a little better, but they're adequate for now. We are about a month away from the start of the sugarcane harvest. That crop right now looks really good. And the Port of Brownsville is getting a facelift and an upgrade when it comes to its agricultural exports. After a 13-year pause in grain operations at the federal government has awarded the port some $14.5 million, it will be used to upgrade and expand its grain storage and loading facilities. That'll be welcome news for the Port of Brownsville. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. Texas farmers can now sign up to participate in the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. Tom Nicoletti has more on this new program. American cotton farmers can now join the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol, a new standard for verifying the sustainability progress of U.S. cotton. To talk more about this program, we go to Memphis, Tennessee, and Ken Burton is our guest. He is with the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol, serving as Program Engagement and Enrollment Manager. And Ken, thanks for being with us today. Oh, thank you. So uh, let's talk about the the uh, Cotton Trust Protocol. Uh, you folks are launching it nationwide uh, for grower recruitment. Uh, this is a campaign. Talk about that. Over a year ago, we started the program for the 2019 pilot where we um, allowed growers to voluntarily enroll in the program and uh, where they could uh, be a part and show their sustainability effort and areas that they've improved with their uh, farming operation. In the pilot, we had over 300 producers that participated. It was a very successful year for a pilot phase. Okay, so now you're launching a nationwide recruitment campaign for a permanent program? 
Yes, uh, we are expanding it where we're asking all growers to participate, to be engaged in the program. It's very important. Not only do we um, want our, our producers to document their sustainability practices, but we also want them to be able to share this message of sustainability to the world, and it, this program will enable them to do that. Now, Ken, how will this uh, cotton protocol help growers? Through the years, uh, many brands and retailers have source cotton and already recognize that the sustainability progress of our U.S. growers. And, and they recognize that they've been under unique uh, regulatory environment constraints and, and regulations. And so they know what the producers have been going through. And, um, and they've seen how producers have been continuously improving over the past 35 years. However, there's a, a growing number of brands and retailers, especially a lot of those that are headquartered over in Europe, that are becoming under more scrutiny by their regulators and by NGOs and investors and consumers. And it's extremely important that we uh, get our U.S. growers engaged in this program because uh, it's that pressure that those uh, brands and retailers are, are feeling overseas. It comes down to their sourcing cotton. And uh, those brands and retailers are turning to other cotton um, being sold in other nations. And so we need to make sure that our growers understand what's going on out there in the world where all U.S. cotton is available in, in every market in the world. So, Ken, let's talk about the members of the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. It's not only just uh, farmers, growers of cotton, but uh, mills and manufacturers, brands and uh, retailers and merchants and cooperatives, correct? Correct. This program is it's engaging the entire supply chain from build to fabric. And it starts with the grower again, where by he being a part of the program and documenting his practices, the data that's entered into our program will be aggregated and be available for the supply chain at the end, whether it's the manufacturers or the brands and retailers. Ken Burton with the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol will join me again next time to talk more about this cotton program. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. New data released last week shows China is continuing to purchase more U.S. farm commodities. Michael Clements has more from Washington. The U.S. Trade Representative's office last week provided an update on export data to China. American Farm Bureau Federation Chief Economist John Newton says China has committed to nearly three-quarters of its Phase 1 agreement goals for 2020. We saw a report from USTR this past week that indicated China's made purchases. This includes products that have been exported as well as products that have yet to be shipped, totaling nearly $24 billion. That's approximately 71% of their Phase 1 goal for calendar year 2020. Newton says the key here is that export commitments turn into actual shipments of products. We've obviously seen the Chinese make a number of structural changes to further advance agricultural trade with the United States. We've seen strong new crop purchases of corn and soybeans in particular. China's been a big player in the pork market this year as well. So I think all of this is a step in the right direction. We do need to see those export commitments turn into actual shipments for this goal to be realized. Newton says the improved export demand has led to increased commodity prices. When we look at where commodity prices are today versus where they were several months ago, we've seen commodity prices really rally on the back of lower inventories and strengthening demand from the export market. New crop export commitments for corn and soybeans are record high. We also see very, very strong export inspections. So I think that's led to higher prices for farmers over the last few months. But again, we need to see those commitments turn into actual shipments for that price rally to last. Michael Clements, Washington. Quail populations in Texas are relatively low in some areas. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. 
and there are some popular fall plants that are toxic to animals. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells which plants coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. There are some popular fall plants that are toxic to animals. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has some advice on which plants to avoid. The ASPCA Poison Control Center indicates mums are one of the most popular fall flowers, but can be mildly toxic to dogs, cats, and even horses. Ingestion of mums can cause increased salivation, incoordination, and dermatitis in dogs, cats, and horses, and vomiting in dogs and cats. Wilted red maple leaves are also very toxic to horses as ingestion of these leaves can lead to destruction of red blood cells, weakness, dark urine, difficulty breathing, and even death. Seed from female ginkgo trees is toxic to pets and can cause vomiting, irritability, and even seizures. The seeds also have a very unpleasant odor, so this is not a good tree to have near your home. Another plant toxic to horses, but not toxic to dogs and cats, is rayless goldenrods. An adult horse can die if ingesting as little as 10 pounds of the plant. Horses become incoordinated, develop tremors, and an increased heart rate and arrhythmias. Later, the inability to swallow occurs with profuse sweating and fluid accumulation and swelling of the nervous system. There are some fall plants that are considered non-toxic, although ingestion of all of these plants can lead to mild gastrointestinal signs. Fountain grass and coral forester feather reed grass are popular fall grasses that are considered to be non-toxic. Asters and Russian sage are great fall plants that are non-toxic, as are caryopteris and pansies. There are many beautiful fall plants that are non-toxic to animals, but it is important to check on the toxicity with your veterinarian before bringing these plants into your home or allowing access to these plants by your horses. And although all plants are not toxic, ingesting any portion of a plant should be discouraged. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Quail populations in Texas are relatively low in some areas. Jessica Domel takes a closer look in today's wildlife report. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department has released the results of its annual quail roadside counts. According to the department, quail numbers are relatively low in comparison to previous years, but hunters in some areas may see more favorable conditions. John McLaughlin, TPWD West Texas Quail Program Leader, joins us with more. 
we're optimists, so we like to hope for a good season, but really based on the survey numbers, and we do surveys across the state on each of our eco-regions, but I would say generally across the state, we're probably expecting below average conditions outside of perhaps South Texas and the coastal sand plain, where we've seen or heard at least anecdotal stories of quail populations being pretty robust. And so I think in that part of the state, there's a lot of opportunity, but generally for Bob Whites, I think it's going to be below average. Really, our two big regions for Bob Whites are the Rolling Plains ecoregion, out West Texas and the South Texas Plains. And, and really what we saw this year in the Rolling Plains was coming out of the winter. You know, we had good wet conditions. We saw birds pairing up early on, but that never really translated into nests to putting chicks on the ground. And then as we got into June and July, it really started to heat up. We started to get that summer heat, not quite drought conditions, but drought-like conditions. And that pretty much curtailed any nesting in West Texas by midsummer. And we got later in the year, we got a little wetter, but by that point, birds had moved on and nesting had basically stopped. Down in South Texas, they were a little bit more fortunate. They were buoyed by some some midsummer rains and kind of they got some showers off of that hurricane weather. So that's why, you know, we think we're going to see a boost in that part of the state. But out west, yeah, just drier, hot conditions, drought-like conditions just put a stop to most nesting early on. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. Cattle futures climbed higher once again on Wednesday, but the cotton and grain markets pulled back. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. back looking at another lopsided matchup Jim. today we have a combine taking on a train yeah that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine no competition there right especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train that's 18 football fields it's no contest every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings see tracks think train this message brought to you by operation lifesaver We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Cattle futures continue to recover this week with another higher close on Wednesday in both live and feeder cattle. October live cattle up a dollar 105.85, the December up 62 at 104.67, February live cattle up 67 107.70. Feeder cattle higher, the October up 87 135.17. November feeders up a dollar sixty one thirty three ninety. January up a dollar fifty two at one twenty nine ninety five. Cash fed cattle trade at a standstill on Wednesday. We usually have the online fed cattle exchange on Wednesday to give us some directions, but technical difficulties shut it down for this week, so no sales to report. We do see some bids from the Packers out there here in Texas at one oh four, but the feedlots are asking one oh eight. Boxed beef prices mixed, choice down 75 cents, 205.95. Select up $1.16, 189.83. Let's check a couple of feeder cattle auctions now. Gulf Coast Livestock Auction, Alice, Texas, selling 705 head this week. The trend steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, $1.29 to $1.60 a pound. Three to four weight steers, $1.25 to $1.62. Four to 500 pounders, $1.20 to $1.50. 
Five to six weight steers, a dollar eight to a dollar forty a pound. Six to seven hundred pounders, a dollar one to a dollar twenty eight. With seven to eight weight steers bringing ninety to a dollar eight a pound. Slaughter cows, twenty to fifty five cents. Slaughter bulls, seventy to seventy eight. Stocker cows, seven hundred to a thousand dollars a head. Cow calf pairs, seven fifty to eleven fifty a pair. El Campo Livestock in El Campo, Texas, selling 686 head. The trend steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, a dollar thirty to a dollar eighty a pound. Three to four weights, a dollar thirty-seven to a dollar seventy-five. Four to five hundred pounders, a dollar twenty-four to a dollar sixty-eight. Five to six weight steers, a dollar fourteen to a dollar thirty-five. And the six to seven hundred pounders brought a dollar to a dollar twenty a pound. Slaughter cows range from 10 to 56 cents. Slaughter bulls, 78 to 86. Cow-calf pairs, 1,000 to 1,100 a pair. Now back over to the futures market where lean hogs dropped sharply lower. December down $1.27, 66.37. February hogs down $1.85, 66.20. Class 3 milk was mixed. The November contract up 46 cents, 22.83 a hundredweight. The cotton market closing lower, feeling the pressure from lower financial markets. The Dow Jones Industrial Average sharply lower on Wednesday. That spilled over into the cotton market and it never was able to recover. December cotton down 36 points, 71.67. March cotton dropping 170 points, 71.03. Kansas City wheat closing lower. We're seeing moisture in wheat growing areas of the high plains of the U.S. Of course, a lot of that moisture in the form of snow and rain, but nonetheless, it is moisture on that new wheat crop that's in the ground. We close with December Kansas City wheat down six cents, five forty-three and a quarter. July wheat down five and three quarters, five sixty and a quarter. Big drop in the corn market. December corn down fourteen and a half, four oh one and a half. In the energy markets, November natural gas up two cents at 304. December crude oil down 205, 37.52. And as we mentioned, a big drop in the financial markets. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 747 points, 26,715. NASDAQ down 322 at 11,110. The SP 500 down 91 points at 3,298. That is a look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it, and I hope that you'll join us again tomorrow. We'll be right here waiting to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin, and this is Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.